Mastering the Hiring Process for a Profitable Firm with Jeff Hotson, Episode 319. Are you ready to make your law firm a profit-generating machine that will free up your time and skyrocket your impact? With more than two decades of business growth experience and having proven that you can be successful while prioritizing your family and your impact, introducing the Profit with Law podcast. I am your host, the creator of the firm differentiator 10x effect, Moshe Amsel. Well, hello and welcome to another amazing guest interview here on the Profit with Law podcast. I'm your host, Moshe Amsel, and um, I've got a treat for you because we have a attorney uh, who is willing to give us his time uh, he's highly successful in South or Central Florida, and um, I'm really excited to to have him on where we can just pick his brain and 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 learn about his journey and and see what 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 are the things that were successful for him? Where were his where 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 did he uh, may perhaps misstep? And you can avoid making those mistakes, and you can follow uh, his journey and perhaps. Uh, implement some of the things that he's done into uh, into your law firm. So our guest today is Jeff Hotson. He considers himself as not your average lawyer. He's passionate about providing clients with practical and efficient legal services so they may have peace of mind. Although he manages a law firm, he really treats it more as a business venture. Perfect, right up, right, right up our alley here at Profit With Law. He's been able to scale this business with his entrepreneurial mindset. One of Jeff's favorite phrases is, in quotes, we either keep growing or die, end quote. Um, and this is very true. I, one of the books that I share with my elite law firm uh, coaching clients, um, so when they first become clients, I send them a package with some books. And the first book that I ask them to read is a book called Living Forward by Michael Hyatt and Daniel Harkavy. And Living Forward is a book uh, that's all about creating a life plan in the various domains of life so that you're being purposeful about growing the areas that are important to you. And you're not forgetting about the areas that are important to you because all too often we might focus on our business and maybe forget about our wife and kids. And um, by, by focusing a business plan, a, a family, a life plan for your, like, like you do a business plan, you create a, a life plan for your life. You're more likely to take the right actions, focus on the right things um, as, as it goes. And one of the concepts or ideas that they introduce in this book is this idea of drift, where when you're not doing anything, you're just drifting along in life. And when you're drifting along in life, it'll take you to places you don't want to go. And um, if you take that drift mentality a little bit further to, hey, I'm treading water, if you're not moving forward um, in, 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 in where you, where you want to get to, and you're simply treading at some point, you're going to tire out and you're going to drown. And that's, what's going to happen in your business is if you're just staying stagnant, nothing's happening at, at some point, it's just going to be, you're done with it. There's, there's not, there's nothing, there's no other purpose for you to be doing it. And you're just going to lose interest and, and that's going to cause, cause your business to fail. So I really love this, this concept that, that, that Jeff has, and we'll get to dive into it with him. Um, now, if you're interested in learning more about our elite lawyer program, it all starts with an absolutely free coaching session. So you can book a free coaching session with my coaching staff, um, where they will spend um, the time with you to help you understand 
and uh, and overcome the things that might be getting in your way of achieving your success, uh, you'll leave that coaching session invigorated and inspired to be able to continue moving in the right direction. Now, in full disclosure, at the end of that coaching session, they're going to potentially offer you the opportunity to join our elite lawyer coaching program. That is the only way that you can get into that. Um, so if that's something that interests you. If you would like some help along the way, uh, then go to profitwithlaw.com forward slash free coaching, profitwithlaw.com forward slash free coaching takes you right to a calendar booking link. You got to answer some questions on a form there, grab a spot on the calendar, and there's absolutely no commitment. You just have that coaching session, see how you feel, and then decide whether you want to continue the ride with us. So um, I'm going to bring our guest on. Jeff, how are you doing today? Hey, man, everything is well. Awesome. I really appreciate you being here. Uh, what I like to do at the beginning is is really just get people to to know you because they're like, okay, I don't, I've never heard of this guy. So unless they're like in the Orlando, Florida area, they probably don't know who you are. Um, so tell us a little bit about your your background. How did you end up in law? How did you end up starting your practice? So just a little bit of your journey, so we get a glimpse into the life of of Jeff. Sure. So I kind of fell into law to be uh, totally candid. I'm the firstborn um, of a doctor, and so I always thought I was going to be a doctor. Realized I hated sciences. Um, I was pre-med, went and dropped all my pre-med courses, and uh, my dad said, why don't you take the LSAT? I took it, did well on it, and so I went to law school. So that's how I became a lawyer. Uh, <laughs> was not an intentional decision. You know, I, I expect, I went up to Emory in Atlanta for law school, uh, came, you know, back here. Um, after my, I was engaged and, you know, then my wife and I got married, but she had took a job down here, rented a place. We were going to stay up there in Atlanta, didn't, came back to Florida. It was, you know, call it female intuition or whatever, but it was the best decision for us. And um, I went to work for a small firm. Uh, I, I graduated in 08, so not a great time to graduate. Uh, still ended up getting a job with a smaller firm. They ended up, uh, you know, being a casualty of the economy. So then I went and worked with a solo practitioner and then uh, he ended up, you know, not being able to afford to keep me as well. I never really wanted to open my own firm, but at that point it was a week after my wife and I closed on our first house. So we had no savings and, um, and, you know, she was working in the hospital. She was a x-ray technician making enough money that we could get by, but there were no jobs to be had. So after looking around for a while, I decided, you know, maybe I'll open my own. I had a buddy who sent me some workers comp defense work, which is probably some of the lowest paying work that exists, <laughs> but it was something. And so I started doing that while I started trying to build my business. Um, I ended up doing family law for a while, actually, just because so many people are getting divorced over money issues. And, uh, you know, my goal had always been to do estate planning, but just wasn't really in the cards until much later in my career. So that was kind of the, the background of how I got there. I would say over the course of the next, let me see, I started my own firm at the end of 09. So it's, I would say probably about five to six years. I focused on family. Then I started adding elder law. I mean, um, estate planning and then elder law into it. And I've been completely out of uh, family for about six years now. Now, what's, what's the size of your firm now? The reason I'm hesitating is because we have uh, four job offers accepted uh, and, and we have more open currently. I think we're somewhere around 36 people right now, but it, 
might be give more. Me the, give me the head count after you fill all the open positions. Right. Yeah. So it'll probably be somewhere pushing 40 people. Okay. So that's a, a respectable size firm. So first of all, kudos to you. 13 years, you you, you built yourself a 40-person law firm uh, or nearly 40-person law firm, which is incredible. Um, and there's, I'm sure there's a lot for us to dive into. What I'm curious to know is when did that growth happen in this, you know, in this um, journey? Uh, when you were doing workman's comp defense, my my assumption is you were solo. You you know there was there was no growth happening there. Uh, then you went into family law. Did you start? Did you did you start to build the 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 firm at that point, or was it, was was it not until you went into estate planning that it really started to take off? So I started building when I was doing uh, family law, and I mean not in any appreciable way. Okay, so. I would say that when I was doing family and estate planning, I built that up to maybe around 600,000 in revenues. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I brought on a full-time marketer who it's kind of a long story. She's actually now my COO, but she w- was a full-time marketer for us. And um, she would, you know, she, it was crazy. She was actually a full-time marketer and a non-attorney salesperson. Mm-hmm. And so she would, you know, go out and, and obviously, you know, she wouldn't give legal advice, but she talked about what we did and whatnot. She was um, marketing for elder law services, specifically for Medicaid crisis planning. Mm-hmm. So going to nursing homes, things like that, you know, getting referrals from the nursing homes and then, um, and then she was actually closing those clients. So she would go out, you know, get the referrals, actually get hired bring back, you know, the retainer agreements and checks and everything, and then schedule a time for me to sit down with them and kind of go through the strategies after we had all their facts and whatnot. So it ended up being a kind of way that allowed us to start scaling quicker uh, because she was generating the leads and closing them. It was, you know, that unicorn. Now, uh, I've since learned that those people are almost impossible to find. I've tried to hire for somebody to do both of those things. Well, most people do not. Right. <laughs> so I just lucked into that basically. But, uh, you know, now we actually have marketers and we have non-attorney salespeople and they do one or the other. And, you know, the, this former, uh, marketer is now the COO of my operation and really runs the show for the most part. But yeah, that was really what started our trajectory up. Yeah, so there's so much to dive into here. So I want to I, I want to try to get as much of it as I can. Um, the first thing is is that there's a lot of people listening to this podcast who have this assumption or believe that this non-attorney salesperson is impossible to do or doesn't exist. Yeah. And um, uh, my friend Seth Price, who runs uh, Price and Benowitz in the DC area, he's got a, a similar size firm to yours, maybe a little bit bigger. Um, he's the first person that talked about this concept of having a completely um, non-attorney intake team where there there's no legal advice happening until somebody becomes a client. And, um, and and most law firms are not doing that. Uh, You know, so did you, when you brought her on, was that your concept that you were going to do that? Or did she come on, see an opportunity and say, Hey, can I try this and run with it? So she was actually, it's kind of a bit of a long, I'll make, I'll make it succinct. She was working for a, well, I'll just say it was a law firm that was owned by non-attorneys, which mm-hmm. obviously is not 
ethical under the bar rules. So right. it's actually now allowed in the state of Arizona, by the way. It is. Yeah, that's true. In Arizona, it is now. But this was back <laughs> in 2016. So it was out of South Florida. I want to say surprise, surprise. But it, OK, so anyways, the, the bottom line, though, is that um, it was like this. She wanted to jump ship. She was doing this for them in Orlando. They had been like a, a non-attorney Medicaid planner. And then back in uh, 2015, the Florida Bar issued a ruling saying that Medicaid planning was the practice of law. So this organization became a law firm, and but they had these non-attorneys who were owning it. So when she was talking to me about it, I said, you know what? These people will never enforce the non-compete because they're going to open themselves up through discovery. So she went to jump ship. I said, hey, why don't you come do this for me here locally? She said, fine. I said, I'll defend you if they ever do anything, which of course they didn't. And, um, and so she just immediately came over, had an existing book of business, had already been doing this. I was like, here's what I'm doing. Here's how I'm doing it. Does this work with you? I said, yeah, let's just keep, if it, you know, if it's not broken, why, why change it? Exactly. Yeah. I, I love that. And, um, you're right. She's, she's a unicorn the way you describe her. Um, and you, you ultimately ended up putting her in the COO role, which, uh, I'm a fan of traction, the EOS system. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Um, but I've got traction on the, on the wall behind me. You've got it on the desk behind you. So she is your integrator, right? Um, and yeah. Um, so it is, it is a challenge finding a good integrator. And often what business owners find is that you don't hire the integrator for the integrator role. You hire an executive assistant, you hire a salesperson, you hire, you hire somebody who all of a sudden they start like performing beyond your wildest dreams. And you realize that they have a lot more potential and they can handle more and they step up and step into that role, um, which is exactly what, you know, what you're demonstrating happened for you. Um, The thing that the thing that I'd like to try to figure out or navigate with you is somebody's listening to this. So like, yeah, so he got lucky and he found somebody, right? Like, is there a way to reproduce that? Is there a way to, to look specifically for certain qualities or a certain type of thing? Or like, how, what is, what is the way that somebody listening to this podcast can say, okay, I'm going to, I'm, I, I recognize that the key to my growth is getting the right team member on board to the, to really do a lot of the things I shouldn't be doing. Yeah. Um, how do I go about looking for that person and finding them in your opinion? So I, for what role, let's start there. Cause I think that's an important you know, I mean, I think if I'm looking for a salesperson, it's very different than if I'm looking for an administrative person versus like a someone that I want to say leadership or something else like that. Uh, so that's a good question. I don't know the answer because I'm, try- I'm trying to when I when I stand behind the microphone, I, I think about, OK, what what are my listeners asking right now? So it really depends on which listener. Right. So somebody who's a solo trying to grow beyond themselves or they're just they're the only attorney um, and they've been staffing up, but they have virtual assistants and they're ready to bring that first person, you know, in-person person in the office or they're they're a 30 person law firm and they're still they're still the COO themselves. And, you know, they need they need to get somebody to take that role from them. Mm-hmm. OK, so I'll answer at least for what, how I did this, like how my growth trajectory, if you will. And then um, the tools that I used along the way to help refine our hiring process. Does that seem like a fair? Yeah, sure. Okay. 
So, you know, my first hire was a uh, paralegal and then kind of an administrative sort of assistant after that. You know, she kind of did a little legal assistant work. I had no plan on hiring. I had no, um, I didn't even know what to hire. I'd never really worked with a paralegal before. I didn't know anything about it. Like I was just kind of flying blind. Right. I knew I needed someone, I knew, I knew I needed help. I didn't know how much goes into this stuff. So subsequently, as you know, we, we kind of added here and there, added more paralegals, added um, the receptionist, you know, we had someone doing some marketing assistant work or whatever. I was always very involved with the marketing of my firm. Um, that is, and to this day, I still am, you know, that's will probably be the last thing that I give up is the marketing and, you know, to some degree, the sales, as far as like coaching and overseeing that just because those are things. And yes, we have people who actually oversee that. So there's a layer between me and the salespeople, but still, it's just something that's very, it's like the lifeblood of our business, right? Leads and conversions. And so if you're not doing those, you don't have a business. So because of that, I'm always very involved with those things. Those are the things I like doing as well. So that makes it easy for me to be involved. Okay. So, um, we added here and there and whatnot. Then the first person we added, the marketer was the one who's now my COO. And then, you know, she generated a lot of business with, which allowed us to hire a lot of other people and kind of start fleshing out more of a org chart, so to speak, of a more kind of a, a business format rather than just a lawyer with a bunch of paralegals and legal systems. Along the way, I read this book, Who by Jeff Smart. Um, he spells Jeff, like I do, G-E-O-F-F, uh, smart. He he has a partner. I forget the partner's name. I think they wrote it together. But they do, I think, recruiting for like C-level for Fortune 500 companies. If you're familiar with this book. Um, I'm not. I'm, I'm okay. very curious. I'm listening intently. I haven't so, read it. Okay, cool. So it, that was like a game changer for me when I was hiring. I, I started the book. I think I read it in like two days. I was on vacation. I couldn't put it down. I was like, oh, my gosh. You know, the, the first section talks about how people hire. And, you know, there's all these different ways that people, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's me. You know, that right there, like I, I saw the one was like hiring by your gut. Do you like this person? You know, and that was me. That's how I was hiring people. And, you know, had very mixed success. So this book creates a lot more of a formula or a strategy for hiring people. And that really helped me start identifying and, and kind of getting a better quality of people in here. Then we went over to EOS you know, read through the people section on that, really developed our set of core values, started using those in our hiring pro uh, process, which allowed us to refine that even more. Then last year, we added the predictive index into the mix, which is, you know, kind of a, I don't want to call it a personality test, because I think people think like Myers-Briggs or something, but it's more personality in the workplace and how your personality fits with certain tasks. The concept of uh, predictive index is anybody can do anything, but how many extra calories might you be spending to do something that isn't necessarily your strong suit? Like, I'm going to be very candid. I'm bad at a lot of things. Um, one of the things I'm really bad at is detail work. Can I do it? Yes. Yep. Does it take me an incredible amount of time and effort and a headache? Yes. So there's a lot of people in this office that are detail oriented because I'm not. And so it does kind of allow you to even, so it creates kind of patterns for roles. You, you're allowed to create patterns or you're able to create patterns for roles. And then, you know, when people take the personality test, it kind of fit, shows how they fit 
their pattern overlays on the wool pattern to see how good of a fit they are. And by no means is that the make or break on that decision. But it's just now we're, we're internally here. We use the Kobe for that. Is that is sure? That what, is that? Yeah, very similar. Very similar. I've heard Kobe and uh, predictive index are kind of comparable in mm-hmm. their effectiveness. I feel like from what I've heard from people who've used one or the other, everybody loves one or the other. <laughs> you know, right. they've, they've got their thing, you know. Um, I've never tried the predictive index, so I only know the Kobe because I, I, I'm a big fan of Michael Hyatt. I heard him talk about it. Um, and, and it, it, I mean, he has, you know, he, he's grown, grown his business significantly over the last few years. And he's anecdotally shared stories where somebody was a perfect fit for the, for the company, uh, you know, core values aligned, but the Kobe just didn't match and they, they knew it didn't match, but they put him in the role anyway. And the person just was, was awful and really not get, you know, excelling at their job. Then they said, okay, let's go back to the Kobe, put them into a role that the Kobe does match. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden they took off like that. And he's got a number of stories like that. And I was like, well, you know, if, if, if it's, if he's proven it, you know, internally yeah. for him, then I'm going to put that, I'm going to adopt that here as well. And it's worked well for me. Um, and folks, I'm just going to plug a podcast episode. Um, we, I have a, 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 an old podcast episode from the beginning of the show called what's your hiring process. It's episode 34. We're in 300 something now. So it's, it's, it was recorded quite a while ago, but it still stands true. We've, we've tweaked a few things, but I share our, hi, our internal hiring process there on that podcast. Go to profitwithlaw.com forward slash zero three four profitwithlaw.com forward slash zero three four. And you can get to that episode and listen to it. Um, but we do this very similar. We follow EOS. So we, we've got the core values assessment um, and Kobe we pay for. So like, I, you know, people are like, oh, why do you do that one next? Well, I save it for last because I don't want to spend money on a candidate who's not going to be a candidate. Wow. So the first thing I do is the easiest thing, the core values assessment. Right. If you don't match with your core values, it, we're, we're not continuing. It doesn't matter no matter what role it's for. So let's just get that out of the way. Then I give them an assignment to do for whatever role that they're doing. Um, and see how they go about performing that assignment. And if they don't get that back to me or or get it back to us in a way that that that's you know that that meets whatever criteria, then we're not going to continue with them. Um, and ultimately, we end up giving them the Kobe and 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 there's a Kobe C and a Kobe A, similar to your um, to to your assessment where the manager, the direct report is taking the C. And then they're mat- we're matching their A to it. And, and if we get a B plus or an A minus, then they're good to go. Uh, anything less than a B plus and we need to have our radar up. If it's a C, it's a no-go. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so I mean, it's, you know, we we pay for predictive index as well, but it's like an annual subscription. So mm-hmm. we send it to everyone. We actually send it to our clients uh, before they come in because the interesting thing about it is while it is a personality test, you can actually kind of like, and, and part of this I should point out is that it's a two question survey. So it took, when I took it, it took me less than a minute and it was accurate. Like it kind of pissed me off to be honest with you, but I was like, hold on a second. I thought I'm some special snowflake. And apparently I'm just like a few answers to these two questions. And I mean, it's a multiple choice. You can, you know, pick it's it's asking a bunch of descriptive questions. Um, But I'm like, what? So it was, you know, and I'm not saying it's better than what you have or anything like that. I'm just saying that's my experience with it. Uh, we have been working on something um, using it recently that has been really cool. It's called Working Genius. 
and that is we pay per assessment. That's the last thing we've done. It was created by the, I forget the gentleman's name, but he's the guy who wrote um, the five dysfunctions of a team. Okay. And it, that's a book, you know, I don't know if you've read it or not, but, but the bottom line is that guy created this thing and it really is more like a project management assessment. Um, like, you know, basically he has this great acronym for a widget and it's like wonder inventive. I forget. Oh, what it's Patrick Lencioni. That's it. Lencioni. Yes. Right. So, um, so anyways, the bottom line though is like, you know, that, that there are some people who are really good at like thinking about like, Hey, how could this be better? And the people who are really good at thinking about like, okay, well, this is how we should create it. And then people who are galvanizing the team, the people who are trying to push it across the finish line and recognizing that, that, you know, some people are very good at different things. They're like, I'm terrible at getting stuff accomplished. I love, I have all kinds of ideas, all the ideas. Most of them are terrible, but I got them. And so we need people to sort through my ideas and then figure out what makes sense to implement in our business and then actually get the right people to get everyone together and push it across the finish line and get that implemented. And so frequently, you know, you're kind of handing stuff off to different people. And, you know, I mean, I can never get anything across the finish line if I'm left to do it myself. So it's, it's kind of like, I'm sure like the Kobe of the predictive index in the sense that it tells you like everyone can do anything, but how much is that they're like working genius or is it something that they're terrible at or something right. that they're just kind of like so-so. So we've found that that's been somewhat helpful as well too, now that we're using that. But that's really kind of how our hiring process has evolved. Um, you know, as far as hiring for particular uh, roles within an organization, I mean, I do believe that the two most important things you can do is have a set of values that you hire based on and then, you know, have a process, whatever that process looks like. You know, when you talk, people talk about Colby versus predictive index versus disc versus whatever. I always say, I, I feel like it's like, it's like a diet. Just pick one and stick with it and you, it'll work. Like someone's asking me about EOS and they were like, oh, what about this competitor? I'm like, I'm sure it's great. You know, if you pick with it and do it, there's, you know, there's the, um, what is it like up leveling or something like this? You know, there's, there's all these right. different like operating systems for your business. And I'm sure if you just pick one and use it, I'm sure it'll be good. But you know, we try right. the key, the key is that you have a system. It yeah. doesn't matter which one, right. Yeah. I, I, I was on a, um, just before we did this recording, I was on a presentation with this, the Suffolk County Bar Association here in, in, in New York state. Um, and, I, I was, I was telling them about, you know, um, you know, creating a plan and, and, and taking action. And, you know, I said that the key takeaway, and, and so basically what I shared with them is the planner that I use and I give my clients to use to stick to the plan. Right. Yeah. So they, it's a physical planner and I shared the link to it. And then I said, but the key is that you just need to do, use what works for you. Yeah. Like, this is the planner that works for me. And it's what I share with my clients. Not all my clients use it. Like some of them get it and put it on the, on the shelf and it probably sits there and I send them one every quarter and it's probably piling up there. They can maybe have like a sale and you know yard sale and sell some of them. But if a Google calendar works better for you, then use that. The same thing, like, you know, whether it's EOS or whether you, you know, you develop your own, it doesn't matter as long as you have, a structure around your business and you're being intentional and you're being purposeful with your actions and you're not just allowing things to happen to you. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I love that. So 
One thing I will share with you is a resource. We've had a guy by the name of Jay Niblick here on the podcast. And uh, folks, by the way, everything that we're sharing, we're going to put in the show notes. So Patrick Lencioni's book is going to be in the show notes and the predictive index will be in the show notes. My team will go and find the URLs for all of that. So you look down below this podcast, go to the resources section. Everything is there. So don't worry about that because sometimes, I mean, you might be out for a run. You might be in the shower while you're listening to this. Don't worry. We got you covered. It's there. Just make sure to go back and grab those those resources. Um, but, and now I just forgot what I was talking about. Um, where was I? So we're talking about show notes and then you were talking about, you had, there's a guy's name, Niblick. Does that sound Yes. Right? Jay Niblick. Thank you. Okay. So this is something for you. Uh, you, you're actively hiring people. I, I somehow came into contact with Jay. Jay has a company called Wise Hire. Yeah, and sure. And why so wise hire has basically has this uh, this software uh, dashboard that you use for the hiring process and they will um, and they have hiring coaches so they'll help you with writing your your uh, your job posting they have the disk assessment built in but you can add any assessment that you want into the process and they have like this Kanban board where you move candidates along in the process and it really helps you keep track of what's going on with each candidate and to and automatically ping them you could set up automations um, and the cool thing is is that if you're not getting results, you then get on on with a hiring coach and they help you tweak your your posting or they help you tweak your process to figure out what you know how to, how you can get people to the finish line um and one of the things they do is they'll disseminate this job posting to all the job boards so you don't have to have like an indeed subscription and a zip recruiter subscription and all that they do it all for you um at, for the same fee and they charge it's just like a flat monthly fee it doesn't matter how many positions you have available and i think it's like it's 200 something dollars, 200 a month or less than 200 a month. So if you go to profitwithlaw.com forward slash wise hire, um, you can definitely check that out um, and, uh, and give it a spin. Like you, and, and the cool, really cool thing is you could turn it off when you're not using it and you keep your account and you just turn it back on. So you stop paying you, and, and you start paying. You see, you, as, while you're hiring, you pay the monthly fee. Once you fill the position, you turn it off. And it's really been invaluable, both for me and for my clients in getting roles filled. So uh, you might want to, you might want to check it out, but our listeners may want to check it out as well. Yeah. We, I will say we have been utilizing wise hire. We, I totally second what you're saying. It's, it's a great program or well, software, whatever you call it. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it's a, a cloud-based application is what I, you know, I, I would, I would deem it. Um, okay. So we, I mean, we, we talked about your, your unicorn that you hired. We talked about, you know, your hiring process, how somebody might go about getting the, the, the right candidate through the door if they are in the hiring, in the hiring process. Um, and I think the key with, with a hiring process is to just stay true to whatever it is you decided is your criteria. Like you may start wondering like, why would somebody stick with me through this process, right? I just made it like a 12 step process or a 20 step process. I remember listening to Dave Ramsey when he came out with his book, Entree Leadership many, many years ago. Um, and he shared in there how when he hires, they do seven interviews before they bring somebody on. And I remember thinking, like, if I was a candidate going through seven interviews, like by the third or fourth interview, I'd be, uh, I'm done. I'll just yeah. go find a job somewhere else. And it's almost like the quantity of interviews is part of the process of filtering out the people who really want to be there, really yeah. want to work there. So 
own your process. You know, if he could build a 300 plus team going through seven interviews for each of those people, you can, you can do whatever steps and process that you have and, and just don't, don't worry about, well, who's going to want to stick through the process. Cause your job when you're hiring somebody is to market your firm to them. That's this right. is why you want to work for me. And if you did a good job marketing your firm and what it's what's in it for them and their core values align with yours, they're going to be passionate about your mission. Um, they'll stick through the process. And those are the ones that you that you want to, to get to the finish line. And that, that's part of the filtration of, of getting the right people in the door. Definitely. You know, I would touch on that and just say, you know, you talk about, you know, having values, having a process, not deviating from that. You know, I, I will tell you that we have at times deviated from, hey, these people don't really fit our values, but they really seem good at this particular job. And they never last and 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 when we fire them or they leave or whatever it is there's always this jump in growth that we have as a firm and it just makes you realize how much of a black cloud people can be you know i always say you know life's too short to work with a bunch of assholes and so you know we try to hire people that we want to be around that share our values you know so that we're all a yeah. kind of group of like like-minded people here and it makes coming to work fun you know i i spent a lot of time out of the office the last couple of months. I was out of the country for like nine days and I was out of the state for 14 days over. That was probably within like a 40 day period. So it was a lot of time out of the office. I was so excited to come back, you know, <laughs> like I love yeah. coming to work because I love the people I work with. Um, yeah. And, it's a great feeling. and you make a really good point, right? It's, it's that hidden, that hidden detractor that we don't even realize is like, you know, that a bad apple, um, you know, can, can, can make, can make the entire, the entire bushel, you know, go bad. Right. It's, and right. it's that it, it, it's exactly that. It's like, if you don't recognize that and you don't deal with it, you're going to end up, it's going to end up spreading throughout your, throughout your firm and, and throughout your staff. And it's really hurtful. It's, you know, and, and it's like a cancer. You got to, you got to cut it out. So the key, really the key is to, to not make the, the, the wrong hiring decision in the first place. And um, anybody who's been hiring long enough will tell you that all of their bad hires came when they were in too big of a rush to bring, to fill that seat. And, or, you know, they, they gave up on, on finding the, the person that met all their criteria and they cut corners and, you know, or they went with their gut when and deviated from their process. And what ends up happening is, is that you've created that process for a reason. You created a filtration process for a reason. And that's because none of us are perfect. None of us are able to perfectly handpick the, you know, people just from talking to them in a conversation. And we need these other tools and we need these other steps to get us to the point where they checked all the boxes that we can possibly check beforehand. And now let's get them on board and, and, and see if they can actually do what we expect them to do. Um, and just because they pass through all the process and, and everything and get to the finish line and you hire them, doesn't mean they're a good hire either. But your chances of having really solid lifetime employees or, or career time employees um, by going through this process is way greater than without it. And, yeah. you know, and that's really the key. So let's, I want to switch gears with you because we've been talking a lot about staffing, which I love talking about. I think it's the, probably the key to growth 
um, for law firms. Like if there's one takeaway that you have, it's like, why are we talking to somebody with a, with a, a nearly 40 person firm? We're talking about staffing because it's a nearly 40 person firm. Mm-hmm. he had to hire those people they had to get you know and there were a lot of people along the way that didn't stay there that are not part of that headcount yeah. um and the reality is is that that's the key to growth right like jeff doesn't have to show up in his office and he's making money because sure. everybody there is doing the job he he's not needed he's holding on to the marketing he's gonna have to let go of it at some point but he's holding on to the marketing piece um and you know it's it allows him to have a lifestyle that many of you dream of and 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 don't have and the reason is because understand that everything you do when you walk in the office is doable by somebody else That's and right. the name of the game is how do i delegate this to somebody else and just get enough of these enough of these these um people executing that there's money left at the end of the day for me so Speaking of money, I want to jump into a conversation around profit. Okay. Um, one of the things uh, I'm a profit first professional. I, I tout the the book Profit First by Mike Michalowicz. But one of the things that got me into working with attorneys is I started my accounting firm, not really knowing who I was going to deal with, and I decided to become a profit first professional um, to to differentiate myself from other accountants out there. Through Profit First headquarters, I got a lead who was a law firm in Manhattan. And that law firm became my client. Um, they referred another who became my client, who referred another for an annuity. I had five law firms. Four of those five had the same problem. Beautiful office, staff, cases coming in, work being done. Every payroll cycle and every first of the month, they were transferring personal funds to cover payroll and cover rent. And my question to you, Jeff, is, is were you always profitable in your in your journey was there ever a point that you there was a ton of work going in and and things were happening and then you were left scratching your head saying like one second why do i why am i not getting anything here fortunately we have always been profitable um it was i was very scared of hiring early on and so if there was something that I could do, I was kind of doing it. Now, you know, I will say that we grew at what I thought was a fairly rapid rate. Uh, I don't know that I really believe that anymore, that it's that rapid. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I mean, we would grow anywhere from 30 to 70 percent in terms of top line year over year. That was just standard for year after year after year after year. And even when we got into seven figures, we were still maintaining that growth pace, which, you know, I thought was great. And I'm sure a lot of people do hear that and they think like, wow, this a-hole's like, you know, bragging about that, saying he doesn't think it's that great. Um, but I'm not sure that it is anymore because I do believe that had I recognized that I could have reinvested some of that, I would have taken out as much, but I think we would have grown a lot faster. So, you know, while we've always been profitable and I've always, you know, lived a comfortable life and I, I'm going to be candid that I probably make more money than I ever thought I would. Not that I'm like mm-hmm. rich by any stretch, but just I didn't have lofty goals, you know. Right. Um, so it, it wasn't it wasn't tough to, to to you know break what I what my mindset had been. It's like oh here's probably how much I'll make, and you you do a little bit more than that. I'm like wow here I, I'm making more, uh, but but I do think that 
you know, it, it depends on what your goals are. And I think Profit First is very valuable if your goal is, you know, depending on what your goals are. I mean, if you want to grow, hypothetically, let's say you want to grow 100% a year or 200% a year or something like that. I think that year you can't really adopt a profit first model. You have to adopt a, hey, let's reinvest everything we can into the business through marketing and stuff like that. But at some point, then you have to dial that back and start looking at the profits again. You know, I will tell you that where we are now, our margins are somewhere in the mid to high 20s range. Um, but a lot of that sits in the business. And, you know, because we've added people quickly to somewhat, some degree. And the, monthly nut keeps getting larger. So I keep trying to sock more and more away to make sure that if we have some down months that there's a war chest there. Right. If we have some opportunities to engage in some, you know, really good marketing efforts or whatever, that we have the money that we can dedicate to that without feeling strapped for payroll or anything. Yeah. And, and, and it's important to recognize, like, I mean, you're hiring people right now, presumably they're not all going to be busy from day one, 40 hours a, a week, right? That you're adding capacity for the growth that you're anticipating. And that growth isn't anticipated because of the other efforts that you're making. Um, I, there's a framework that I teach my clients and the, the main crux of the framework is plan, grow, scale. And the idea is, is that you plan then you grow grow is all about filling the capacity you have and the scale is is all about adding new capacity yeah and you have to add that capacity before you have what to fill it with in order to allow that business to come in in order to to make that possible because if you didn't have the capacity you your sales team wouldn't be motivated to make sales because they know that they're going to be getting people in the door that are going to have a poor customer service experience right there's it, it's almost like you shoot yourself in the foot when you try to push more business through the capacity you have when you've reached your peak. Yeah. The profit first model or the, the percentage allocation that you should be at from a profitability perspective is based on the assumption that you're in you're 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 maxing your capacity at, at the fully uh, fully maxed gross stage. Mm -hmm. And when you step into the scale stage, you're actually going to be spending money that you haven't had income coming in to cover. And it's going to potentially hurt those profit numbers, hurt those percentages. And you have to be able to like, there's ebbs and flows in business and you have to have those cycles. You have to be able to go out and do that. Um, early on, you might do that with, with loans, borrowed money, uh, credit cards, whatever. But as you grow and as you build a book of business and as you're profitable and you're able to put money away, like you're saying, Jeff, um, there's there's the ability to sock that money away and have an account for it. And that is that does work well with the profit first system because it's simply add another bank account. Yep. And that bank account is where a certain percentage of that pro of that revenue coming in is going to get socked away for future business, uh, um, uh, you know, investments and things like that. Um, and if you're if you're diligent about that and you're constantly putting 10% or 15% into that account of your top line revenue, all of a sudden, before you know it, you have a war chest. Now, when you get up to the scale stage, you're like, oh, we need to do X, Y, and Z. It's going to cost us X amount of dollars. Perfect. We've got it here. It's sitting here in this account. 
we can just hit go and keep keep moving along. So that all that happens by by being purposeful, by planning, and by paying attention to the numbers as you go. Um, and I, it's awesome that you didn't have the struggle that these other firms experienced. The, the what I didn't share was the fifth client um, that I brought on went from eighty three thousand to over a million in one year That's in awesome. revenue. That's great. And she had a different problem, right? Like, how do I, how do I bring on people fast enough? How do I, you know, how, how do I keep these clients happy? How do I get all the work done? But she was in a very niche industry. She was the only per- attorney really doing what she did, do, what she does. Um, and I'm not going to share here what it was. I don't want to give away who, who it was because I shared her numbers. Um, but there's different, pro- like everyone has different problems. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're, we want to uncover the ones that you had so that we can learn from them. So if you're looking back at your journey, mm-hmm. what do you think, like, if you had to do it all over again, what is like one to three things that you would do differently next go around? That's a good question. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 my struggle is narrowing it down, right? Not, mm-hmm. not that I, it's been this perfect clean ride, but like, I am a mistake-making machine. Like if there's a mistake out there you can make, I'm going to find it and I'm going to make it. And, um, you know, it's that whole like getting up and falling forward sort of thing. You know, I screw up all the time. And, you know, I used to kind of abandon something. You know, I tried it. It didn't work. I abandoned it. And instead of trying to refine it. And that's one thing that I've, I will say, that's probably a big one has been that just because something doesn't work doesn't mean that it won't work. It might just mean that I need to refine that process or that person or the message or whatever that is to, until we figure out what will make it work. So, you know, that, that kind of determination, the kind of engineer model of, you know, prototype refine, prototype refine, just continuing to do that. We do that with like everything in our practice. And, um, you know, that's the first piece. The second piece I would, or the second thing that I would do differently is I would adjust my mindset a bit because when I was growing my practice, I thought, oh, when we get to a million bucks, you know, I'm not going to have issues anymore. Or when we get to 3 million or when we get to 5 million, you know, we're not going to have these issues anymore. And um, we may not have the exact issues that we had but we still have plenty of issues. There's still plenty of problems. It's not like you trade your problems for other problems. And there's no, you know, kind of like new, new level, new devil, right? That's it. That's it, man. So, I mean, I will say, I think, you know, like one of my clients described them as champagne problems. And I love that description, you know, because it, it, it's true. You, you know, they're problems, but they are good problems uh, in some cases, or, you know, I mean, they're just better problems than the last problems you had. You right. know, when I was worried about making payroll, that's a much different problem than worried about how are we going to get, okay, what we're running into right now is we have a parking space issue in our, we don't have enough parking. I bought the building that we're in and it's like, you know, 7,500 square feet or whatever, but there's not enough parking spots. So now we have people working from home two days a week, uh, like mandatory work from home so that there's enough room for everybody to be in here and work and, and, you know, that's just another problem, but it sure is helping. You got to start providing busing. That's it. That, right, you know, we, look, we've talked about, there's some public, public, uh, parking garages and stuff, but we've talked about, you know, getting like a, a 
firm van to go down there and pick people up and bring them back and forth. Um, but the, the bottom line is that's a much better problem than worrying about payroll or where's the next client going to come from. You know, there's still a problem, but it's just a better problem. So, you know, I think the mindset of, of not getting somewhere because you think things are going to be okay, but just recognizing that like there will always be problems, but that's kind of why we make the big bucks is because we're always solving problems and that's just what it, life is going to be. Um, and then the last thing I will say that I would do differently now would be, or what would do differently now that I know now is just get better. I'm a very um, people oriented person. That's why I can't shut up. It's why I'm always like, you know, I just, I love being around people. So I come to the office cause I like being around people. But I will say that the one thing I would have done differently is been quicker about pulling the trigger on separating from employees that we knew weren't right instead of spending months trying to save them or overlook the problems and whatnot. And it isn't to say that, you know, if someone's performance suffers, you just let them go. But if it's, you recognize this person does not meet your core values, they are not right for your organization. Making the split because every time our other remaining team members are happier, it's like a black cloud was lifted, our revenues shoot up, you know, and just how long have we been strangled by the wrong people? Or how long has our growth been strangled by the wrong people? You know, and, and I just wonder, like, what would it look like now if we had been quick at identifying that, quick at making that decision? You know, I hate the term, like, hire slow, fire fast. I know that a lot of people are big on that. I don't love it, especially when you're trying to grow. You need to hire quick a lot of times. But, and, and I am very, because I'm so people oriented, I'm very hesitant to just pull the trigger on firing people. You know, someone's production slows down or whatever. I feel like that's a coaching opportunity, but I can't teach you to have the values or to share my values, right. you know, and recognizing that that needs to be a quick decision. And, you know, we probably would be 50, hundred percent larger than we are now. Had I recognized that earlier. Yeah, I, I love I love that you're sharing that you're sharing that. I want to add one more perspective to that point because people are still hung up on, oh my gosh, like this person has a wife and kids and they're dependent on me for their livelihood. And and when the the reality is is that if that person is not the right fit, then by you keeping them around, you think you're helping them, but the reality is is you're preventing them from finding the right thing for them. That's right. You're preventing them from getting to that next level that perhaps they can go and get a job that pays twice as much if they were in the right place. They can perform twice as well if they were in the right place. So by you releasing them, what you're doing is you're giving them the opportunity to go find the right place for them. And, you know, we, we have this thing like we're, you know, we're responsible for them. And the reality is, is we're not like, yes, you are responsible to pay your employees, but you're not responsible for their life. You're not responsible for their decisions. You're not responsible. You're not responsible for any of that. And what you are responsible for is being true to what's best for you and your and your firm. And in doing so, you're going to be true to what's best for them. Because if somebody's not working by you, if they're not working out there, they're going to leave eventually. They're going to be let go eventually. Yeah. So why not get them to the next step as fast as possible so that they can be released? to do the next thing where they might feel tied down because they are committed to you. And so I I love 
what you're saying because it, it's something that's just I've understood recently. This is kind of like a recent epiphany for me, mm-hmm. <laughs> and something that my that kind of like drove it home for me. My HR director, she said to me, you know, you think of it as like hurting this person. What you don't realize is by keeping them, you're hurting everybody else here. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, yeah, there's, there's one person you're trying not to hurt, but you're hurting 30 some other people every single day that you don't make a decision. You know, so it really did kind of make me realize that, you know, I mean, I know that we don't adopt these people. They're not my children that I'm responsible right. for, even though they feel that way. But at the end of the day, I do feel like I have a responsibility to all of them to run truly like a profitable business, because if it's not profitable, I shut down and go get a job somewhere else and they all have to figure out what they're going to do. Um, right. And and part of running a successful, profitable business is making sometimes hard decisions, you know, but I've got to protect them. And so I view that now as protecting the flock, you know, even at the expense of a single sheep. Yeah. And, and I, I think that we can even offer some ideas of how somebody can can embrace this in a way that feels good to them. Right. Sure. Like what if when you let somebody go, you provided them with the resources to go find their next job? Yeah. Like, What if you said, hey, I'm going to you know, it's not working out for you here. Unfortunately, we're not going to keep you here. We have to let you go. But what we're going to do is, is we're going to hook you up with this career coach and this resume writer. And we're going to pay you for three months while you go and find your next thing. And we're going to give you the resources you need to make it the best possible job search for you that you've ever had. Right. And it's a small price to pay to, to now know that you've done everything you can to help them in that process. That's right. And how, re- I mean, how could someone be really angry? Sure. They might feel hurt. They were let go. Mm-hmm. Clearly you cared enough about them as a person to do what you talked about. You know I mean? If it's a, oh, I don't want them to be mad at me. You know, how, how long could they really be mad at you when you've given them the tools to be successful elsewhere? Yeah. Um, so I, I think you just, sometimes we just need to think outside the box. Like, okay, how do I, how do I get this to align with my, my own ethics, my own core values, but at the same time, recognize that here's people who, you know, there's a coach who helps law firms grow and there's a, a law firm owner with nearly 40 people on board. And they're both telling me like, you got it. Sometimes you got to just let this person go. Um, I even have, I mean, coaching clients of my own that like, I, I, I tell them, you know, you really need to think about whether this person needs to be there or not. And it, it sometimes takes them a long time to, to embrace it. Sometimes they don't, sometimes they just wait for it to happen on its own. Yeah. And but when it finally happens, then I'm like, all right, finally, now we can move on to where I can coach you on how to find the right person. You know, like where <laughs> you really needed to let this person go, but you were attached to it. And I can't change that. You know, like you, you have to recognize that yourself. And, um, and sometimes it, it, it becomes very difficult to do that. Yeah. Um, I've, I've told people, I've said, you know, I love who you are, but you just can't be that person here. You know, like there's, yeah. you know, kind of the old adage, like there's a butt for every seat type thing. Mm-hmm. You know, there just may not be that seat here. You know, and right. I, I mean, but you, you know, it's I, musical chairs. Your chair was just removed. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I, I have, I, we're, we're almost out of time, but I, I want to ask you, I want to explore one more area with you that we haven't talked about. Sure. And that is marketing. Yeah. Um, you, you've been growing, you've been growing over time. 
at what point do you run out of marketing ideas? Like, like how do you, when do you, do you feel like, okay, like, how are we going to get our next dollar? We've done everything we can to get in front of every person we can. Um, is that a problem that you have? And, and, and where, where are you finding success when it comes to marketing at this level, when, where you're, you know, needing to have 40 people occupied? So, here, there, and everywhere. Um, no, but but in all seriousness, you know, one thing that I've learned, and we've done billboards, and we've done commercials, and we've done radio, and uh, print, and, you know, we have full-time marketers out and pounding the pavement, and um, kind of relationship marketers. But, but I think what I have learned, and it's been kind of a more recent lesson, is that there needs to be some clear strategy behind creating a brand that then influences all of your marketing and ties it all together. And I didn't do that before. And I would have very questionable success with some of these different um, marketing endeavors. Efforts. Yeah, efforts. Um, you know, and, and one thing I've realized too is you also have to have, you have to dedicate enough money to the medium to make it successful. Cause you know, I, I think, you know, if I go drop in the Orlando area, John Morgan is, this is home base for him. You know, Dan Newland for the, that's, that's kind of more of a local name, but he's a very large player in the PI industry. We have a lot of PI attorneys spending lots and lots and lots of money on a lot of different areas here. And to break through that. And for somebody, even though I'm not marketing for PI, I'm just another lawyer with a commercial or a billboard or whatever. So, you know, I have to do something to stand out and be different, but I have to be able to break through theirs, you know, and get 10,000 bucks a month in TV is doesn't cut it. You know, I probably will have to spend 60 to $80,000 a month um, just on one channel to be able to kind of break through and get traction with my marketing efforts. So, you know, I, I think I hear people being like, oh, you know, I, I did commercials for 10,000 bucks a month for six months. I didn't get anything out of it. It doesn't work. And that's where I go back to the, you know, maybe there was something that wasn't right. Maybe it was your messaging. Maybe it was your ad spend. Maybe it was something, but clearly it, maybe it was the wrong channel. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe the wrong <laughs> channel. Exactly. That's a perfect example. Maybe that's not where your demographic is. Yeah. Um, but, but creating a brand that really encapsulates you, your firm, your unique selling proposition, you know, USPs, all that sort of stuff and creating, you know, a marketing campaign about that, that is not like, synced up across all different channels, whether that's, you know, pay-per-click, whether it's print or commercials or whatever, that people see it and they connect them. You know, oh, this is that. Oh, this, you know, it all is the same. And I think that's something that I really struggled with. And now we're being very intentional about how we're crafting that. We're really going one medium at a time and trying to get a lot of traction in that particular medium before we move on to something else. Instead of having a budget that was fractionalized across everything, we're dominating one, then dominating the next, then, you know, or going, attempting to do that. Obviously, I'm never going to outspend someone like John Morgan, right? I think he's going to spend $200 million in advertising this year. Like, I'm, you know, right. that's many, many times what I'll generate revenue. <laughs> right. But, so, so let me ask you this, because I, I love this concept of, of having, like, one branding effort across mm -hmm. wherever, all your efforts and then focusing on one medium at a time. 
how did you decide what the first medium was? And and um, if you're willing to share what that was for you, yeah. uh, but I'm more curious about the process that you went about to de- to determine, you know, which what should we what should we hit first, and what should we hit second, and what should we hit third? So, to be candid with you, um, what I started with first was our newspaper and print. And the reason I started with that, even though I know it's a it's a dying medium, mm-hmm. I'm an elder law attorney. And the people reading the newspapers tend to be my ideal clients. So I knew that, you know, those people were the ones picking up the papers. And I also recognized that it was a very cost-effective medium to dominate. So we could be in there multiple times a day, every single day, at less than 10000 bucks a month. Mm-hmm. So it became something I'm like, okay, I can, I can do that. I, can, I, I, I can't dominate tv right now i don't have the budget for that but i can dominate that you know so um so you know the goal then was to then take the profits from that and then use it into another medium and then Mm -hmm. continuing to reinvest and grow and reinvest and grow and um you know the thing i'll tell you about growing in a rapid fashion that is very scary is your bank account doesn't keep up (laughs) <laughs> with, right. with the increasing overhead that you get as a result of this. And yeah, you get more money coming in, but then you're spending a lot more and the, 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 you know, the nest egg, the, the war chest, whatever, doesn't grow at the same rate really. And so it's been, it was very nerve wracking and, you know, I'll be candid, but for getting some, um, well, I won't say but for, but I'll say the things that really made me feel comfortable in taking additional risks were um, getting the PPP back. That was a couple of years ago. So that, yeah, whatever. But really when we got our uh, employee retention credit, because, mm-hmm. you know, we have a fairly sizable firm. So we had a fairly right. sizable uh, return on that. Yep. That really gave me the confidence. And then once I got that, I actually applied for a line of credit. So we had mm-hmm. plenty of money in the bank and then I've got extra money there if I ever need it. And I was like, okay, right. now Let's start doing some investing. Let's, you know, put some money into this stuff because I'm not as concerned anymore about, you know, what happens if we have a couple down months. Yeah, I I recently, I don't remember if it was a podcast episode. My team will go back and figure this out. And if it was a podcast episode, they'll link it up. It's either a podcast episode or it was a coaching call. So if it's a coaching call, then folks are getting this for free, even though other people have paid lots of money for it. One of, I, I had a whole discussion around the name of the game is the size of your line of credit. Yeah. And it's not because you should be borrowing money all the time, but it gives you the buffer that you need to be able to invest in yourself freely knowing that, okay, if it, if it three, it's, if there's a three month delay and this is coming to fruition, I know my line of credit's got it. And yeah. you have to stay on top of that line of credit. You have to develop a relationship with a bank. You want to use like a local slash regional bank. You don't want to use a, like a JP Morgan or a Citibank because there's nobody to talk to. That's right. You want to use somebody you can develop a relationship with. You're going in there and meeting with them on a regular basis. And you are constantly pushing for that increase constantly, yeah. like literally every three months, you're having a discussion about, Hey, can we increase this? Can we increase this? Yeah. Um, because it's going to be going to be tied to the revenue that you're bringing into the firm. And the more that you grow, the more your line of credit can be. And you're not, it's, you're never borrowing unless you need to. So it's not like you're paying interest on that line. 
but the larger the line is, the more you, the more risk you can take freely, knowing that you have that parachute that's going to catch you. Um, I, when, when I, my kids, my ex-wife uh, was an alcoholic and um, I was taking my kids to Alateen meetings. So when I took them to the Alateen meeting, I would go to the lo- local Dunkin' Donuts and I would sit there for an hour while they were in their meeting. And there were these three older gentlemen who used to come in all the time and we got to know each other and we got into conversation. I told them I was an accountant and I helped businesses grow. And one of them was a business owner and he goes, I will tell you my number one secret to my success in business. And he said it was his line of credit. And, you know, it was, and, and I, sitting there, I was like, well, you know, that sounds like a little That's foolish, funny. you know, and, and, yeah. um, you know, how does the line of credit, you know, grow your business? Yeah. But he, but he, he explained and he said, like, literally every time that we, that, that we needed to invest in ourselves, the line of credit was there to allow that to happen. Yeah. He said, without the line of credit, we would have never been able to, to like, we would have been stuck because the, the profit comes after the investment. And you need the cash to make that investment. And, um, you know, what I, I, I the what's that? Yeah. Comes, the, the profit comes after the investment. I mean, I love that. It's just hits a nail on the head. Yeah. Um, so this was, I mean, this was an older gentleman who, who just was speaking from 30 years or 40 years of business experience. Um, and I've, I've been, I've been buying into that a lot more lately, especially having gone through COVID and watching what, you know, without PPP, without EIDL, without the the employee retention credit, where would all of my clients be? Yeah, you know, and anybody who who had a line of credit would be fine. Mm-hmm. The yep. people who didn't have a line of credit, they'd be out of business. Yeah, plain and simple, right? For, let alone forget growing. Right. You know, like a lot of these businesses were able to grow and invest in themselves because of these parachutes that the government gave, which is great. But the reality is, is that you can set yourself up so you never need the parachute. Right. If it comes, great. You know, but I have my own. You know, and That's right. you need you need to have a decent sized firm in order to be even be in the in the in the conversation of a line of credit. So if you're if you're a solo, you've got a hundred thousand in revenue. Don't waste your time. Right. You got a half a million to a million in revenue is the the bare minimum that a bank would be willing to have a conversation with you. And they're going to start you with a really small 75 K line of credit and that's it. And you can't really do a whole lot with that, but it's the relationship. And it's once you establish it, then you can continue to request increases. And before you know it, that 75 K line of credit is now a $500,000 line of credit. And, And, you know, and now you can really move the needle because I mean, think about it. You hire 10 people you know, you're committing to, uh, you know, half a million to a million dollars in payroll, but you only have to pay two or three payroll cycles before they start producing for you. That's right. So you don't need to have that million dollars up front. You That's need right. to have a 12th of it or, or, or a sixth of it um, just to get you by. And yeah. that line of credit can easily do that for you. That's right. Yeah. That is a great, great way of looking at it. Jeff, this has been awesome. We're, unfortunately, we're out of time, and we, we, you know, we can keep talking all day. Um, but what I want to do is that what I leave with um, two things at the end of every episode. Uh, one is, what is your um, number one tip that you want to leave our listeners with? And the second is, if somebody wants to get in touch with you, if you're willing to share your contact information, how would they go about doing that? Sure. And number one, honestly, I don't know that I can summarize it down to any one thing. Um, 
uh, here's here's what I will tell you is you can't achieve great things by yourself. You have to build a team of good people around you. That is my number one tip. Like, you know, people come to like local and they'll be like, man, talk to me about like how you've done this. I'm like, honestly, it's not me. It's all the people around me who built this. I just, you know, I mean, I, I never take the credit for it, but I didn't build it. They built it. Um, so that's like probably my biggest takeaway. My biggest tip is like, you got to have people help you get people on board. Uh, as far as contact information, I mean, I'm happy to talk with people. I don't know if anybody wants to talk to me, but um, probably my email, honestly, uh, Jeff, G-E-O-F-F at familyfirstfirm.com. That's all spelled out, familyfirstfirm.com. Um, you know, shoot me an email. I'm happy to, you know, if you want to schedule a call or Zoom or just ask questions via email, I'm happy to answer. But again, I, you know, I'm, I don't know how helpful I'll be, but I'll try. Awesome. Jeff, it's uh, incredible for you to share that. What, folks, we're going to link that up in the show notes. You don't have to remember it. Uh, just come in there, click the link, and, and you'll be able to shoot an email over to, to Jeff if uh, if that's the, the best next step for you. Uh, but an awesome tip, um, which is to, to recognize that it's the people around you that are going to grow your firm, that are going to elevate it, um, and just, just focus on building a team. Uh, I think that if if you, there's one takeaway uh, from this episode, that's definitely the one. Um, the second one for me, from from what you shared, is is take action. Just keep taking action. One of the, you know, we didn't really get to dive into that, but you shared that. Um, that's really what's kept you going is just keep moving and not and not getting stuck or, or abandoning ship because something didn't work. And uh, one of the things I share all the time is action creates clarity. And running a business is a science experiment. And just like a scientist is going to make one little tweak every single time they run an experiment until they get the result they're looking for, that's what we're doing in our business is we're just making one little tweak, one little tweak, just to see if that moves the needle. Does that make the difference for us? That's exactly what you shared um, that you've done. And it's honestly like when I, when I do a webinar saying, here's the three things that keep a business from growing. The, one of the main things is lack of inaction. It's in it, which is caused by indecision, um, and you know it's caused by uh, by somebody just not being sure of themselves enough to be willing to take it. And the the reason that people don't take action is because of fear. And fear, it, what's crazy is, is that the fear is of the unwanted result. But what we're forgetting is, is that we're allowing that fear to to make that unwanted result a reality because we're not taking the action. The only way to get the desired result is to take the action. So you want to do that first, take the action. And then if it doesn't work, take another action, take another action. You keep moving forward um, and building your team and, and, and building your line of credit. Like just take those three things from this episode. You're going to be a powerhouse. I mean, you're going to look back 12, 18 months from now and you'd be like, holy cow, how did I get here? Now, if you if you still are unsure that you can do this yourself, you want some support doing it, uh, don't forget that you can just sign up for a free coaching session with one of my uh, coaches at profitwithlaw.com forward slash free coaching. We'd love to support you there. Folks, this is your first episode that you're listening to of the Profit With Law podcast, and you love this content. Jeff was an amazing guest. You want more of it. First of all, we've got over 300 episodes for you to binge on, but hit that subscribe button in your podcast player so you get notified every time we release a new episode. And don't forget to leave us a rating and review when somebody else comes and checks it out. 
That's what they're looking at. They want to know, should I invest my time in listening to this podcast? They go straight to the ratings and reviews. So we need your help in getting those filled. We do, we've done a great job until now, but uh, we need, always need more. So we appreciate your assistance in that. Until next time, focus on those profits. Make sure you're keeping that business profitable. We'll see you next week. Take care. Have you been enjoying the show? We sure hope so. To make sure you never miss an episode, be sure to hit the subscribe button in your podcast player app. Next week, we will be back with more valuable resources and ideas on how to break the mold and take your law firm to the next level.